morning. You want to turn to Titus 2? While you're turning there, I'll just give a short recap. So, we are going through Titus, uh, which is written by Paul to Titus, who's in Crete planting churches, and he's giving instructions on the churches how what's important. And what he says is uh, doctrine, so the teaching, what the Bible teaches, truth, and obedience. How do we live that out and obey that in our life? And we're in chapter 2 here where he's talking about individuals and how that looks in every case, whether we're an older woman, younger woman, younger man, older man, and that covers everybody. And we went through that for quite a few weeks, and then today we're going to finish up this section uh, talking about bond servants or slaves, and then just recapping the whole conclusion there. So let's read, starting in verse 9 of Titus 2. Bondservants, or slaves, are to be submissive to their own masters in everything. They are to be well-pleasing, not argumentative, not pilfering, but showing all good faith, so that in everything they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, waiting for, the, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. Declare these things, exhort, and rebuke with all authority. Let no one disregard you. All right, so let's see here. The message is I'm going to divide up into three parts, basically. The first is this section presents something that is often objected to in our culture, which is uh, just the fact that in the New Testament, why didn't Jesus or the New Testament writers, or even in the Old Testament, say slavery is a sin? Um, and that comes up a lot. And it's a good question, and I think worth taking some time to answer. And then secondly, um, just want to talk about how to how this particular section still applies to us, um, what we can learn from it, even though there's no slaves here today. We, we can praise the Lord for that. And then thirdly, just... Thirdly, just um, summing up this whole section, our obedience, how that applies. Um, not just this section, but for this whole chapter up to now. There's a really good summary here at the end of Bondservants, so that in everything they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior, which definitely applies to Bondservants, but also applies to all of us. And so kind of summarize this whole section. So let's start with the first question, which is, why didn't God command the end of slavery in the New World Testament? So I'm going to give you a couple different part answer here on that, because it's a good question. Um, the, basically, when people when people raise objections, you know, it's good I think to take it seriously, you know, and answer them um, seriously, and think, okay, well, why would they ask that? Well, it, it's really an argument from the Bible being the basis of morality, God being the basis of what's good, 
And so it's a good question, you know, like this seems obviously wrong. Why didn't God say it was wrong? Or why did God give provisions even for it in the Old Testament? And that's a good question. Um, And so the answer I'm going to give is a couple different parts. But the first part is this. Throughout, this is a pattern throughout the Bible and throughout how God has dealt with us in history. The first thing is that God repeatedly deals with the biggest problem first, but he will deal with all problems soon. Okay? God repeatedly has dealt with the biggest problem first and will deal with all problems soon. So, what's that leads to a question what's the biggest problem? Um, and the reality is, is that our physical problems, the physical results of sin in this temporary life are not the, our biggest problem. Sin's our biggest problem. And spiritual, spiritual things are our biggest problem. Internal things are our biggest problem. Uh, Jesus hits this repeatedly throughout his ministry that what matters of first importance is the internal life. And he specifically says, you know, it's not the things outside of you that cause a man to sin. It's what's in his heart that the biggest problem is a heart problem. And so that's the way God deals with us all, all the time, but in every situation. So it's not just here with slavery. We could say the same thing about um, any type of sinful treatment of any, any person anywhere. Why doesn't God um, stop it? And the re- answer is in two parts. First, he will. <laughs> One day he's going to. And uh, that's for sure. There's going to be a day when all problems, all sinful actions toward any human being will cease. And that's a good thing. We can be thankful for that. And two, God is dealing with the bigger problem first, which is our hearts. The way God has set up the world, he wanted to save sinners. And for that to be the case, God can't strike sinners dead every time they sin, or no sinner would be saved. And so God has let there be a time period in history where sin happens and men have an opportunity to repent. God leaves sinful men and women here on the earth and we can be thankful that he does because if we got justice the moment we started, the moment we treated somebody wrong the first time, uh, we, wouldn't, we wouldn't be here, right? We would all be destroyed um, and we wouldn't have an opportunity to repent. And so what, what happened the way God handled it was God gave men an opportunity to repent of their sin. And there's a short time here on earth where evil things happen, but they don't go unnoticed by God, and God is actively working against them in history and in redemption, and one day will end it soon. But God wants sinful men to repent of their sins, and he wants to deal with the heart. Um, he wants to, them to have a change of heart. And so that applies to every problem. Um, Sickness, why didn't God end sickness? Um, He obviously says it's not a good thing. One day he is going to end it. Um, But he waited, and he gave time. In this short time, the already and the not yet. Jesus already came. He already purchased victory. This is certain. All these things will happen. And yet, not yet. It hasn't happened yet. So that's, that's where we are in history. And it's a good place to be. And I think we would all say we want this to be the case. We want mercy for ourselves, right? We want God to be patient with us, give us time to repent. And we want that for other people. The other thing we want is we want God to deal with the biggest problem first because there wouldn't be joy and freedom the other direction. So um, 
Jesus in John 8 talks about slavery to sin. And he says this, um, when he's talking about them being slaves, uh, the Jews answered him, We are offspring of Abraham and have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free? And Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So if the son sets you free, you're free indeed. Jesus came the first time to set us free from the slavery of sin. And he didn't free all the slaves physically, but he gave the opportunity for all the slaves to be free spiritually. And if we could decide, if you and I could decide, which one would you rather have? Would you rather be outwardly free, be able to go wherever you want, and internally be a slave to sin? Or would it be better to be free internally, be a slave to righteousness, to know God, to have peace and joy in the Holy Spirit, and have him there with you on your side, um, even if you're still in chains? And one is better than the other. And that's actually what happened. Um, it's pretty amazing, really, if you read about a, you know, a lot of um, the evils of slavery. There was some redeeming lights in there. Um, people that were really converted and really lights in the world, that they were parts of, part of the kingdom of heaven. And I'm sure, you know, some of those verses like, the last will be first. I would not be surprised at all if somebody who was a slave is one of the first. <laughs> Right, the, literally the last, you know. A very difficult place to honor the Lord and, and walk at, like Jesus walked, and yet people did. And there's a lot of accounts, but I, I picked one. Um, it's kind of interesting as we think about, you know, Christian history or whatever. You know, we think about Spurgeon, but a lot of times we don't realize, like, Spurgeon was preaching while the slave... You know, American slave trade was, you know, wasn't done yet. And, like, civil war happened, like, during his lifetime. And he actually talked, actually, quite a bit about, against slavery and things like that. And he tells in his sermon sometimes a story about a slave and a master and a, a true story. And there's one that is really encouraging to me that just shows that many of the slaves were actually more free than their masters. Internally, right? They knew the Lord. They had the reality they had life abundant, and the masters didn't, even though they were able to go wherever they want, you know, and they had uh, money and freedom, that Jesus really ministered to the slaves. Uh, so I'm going to just read you part of this section. Unfortunately, I'm not the best, uh, like, story reader or whatever, so <laughs> I'm going to do my best to read you this story and um, of this slave and their master and an example of this. So bear with me. Um, so this is from uh, an account that Spurgeon had um, included in one of his sermons. A slaveholding American on one occasion buying a slave said to the person of whom he was purchasing them, tell me honestly, what is this slave's faults? And the seller said, he has no faults that I'm aware of but one, and that one is he will pray. (laughs) Ah, said the purchaser, I don't like that, but I know something that will cure him of it pretty soon. On the next night, This slave was surprised by his master in the plantation. While in earnest prayer praying for his new master and his master's wife and family, the man stood and listened but said nothing at the time. But the next morning he called this slave and said, I do not want to quarrel with you, my man, but I'll have no praying on my premises, so just drop it. Master, said the slave, I can't leave off praying. I must pray. 
And then the slave master says, I'll teach you to pray if you're going to, if you're going to keep on at it. Master, he said, I must keep on. Well then, I'll give you five and twenty lashes a day till you leave off. Master, if you give me fifty, I must pray. If that's the way you talk to your master, you shall have it directly. So tying him up, he gave him fifty, five and twenty lashes, sorry, five and twenty lashes, and asked him if he would pray again. Yes, master, he said, I must always pray. I can't leave off. The master looked astonished. He could not understand how a poor saint could keep on praying when it seemed to do no good but only brought persecution upon him. He told his wife of it, and his wife said, Why can't you let the poor man pray? He does his work very well. You and I don't care about praying, but there's no harm in letting him pray if he gets on with his work. But I don't like it, said, said the husband. He almost frightened me to death. You should have seen how he looked at me. Was he angry? asked the wife. No, I should not have minded that. But after I had beaten them, beaten him, he looked on me with tears in his eyes as if he pitied me more than himself. That night the master could not sleep. He tossed to and fro on his bed. His sins were brought to his remembrance, and he remembered he had persecuted a saint of God. And rising in his bed, he said, Wife, will you pray for me? And she said, I never prayed in my life. I can't pray for you. I'm lost, he said. If somebody does not pray for me, I can't pray for myself. I don't know anyone on the state who knows how to pray except for that particular slave. I don't know how to say his name or I would read it. But The bell was rung and the slave was brought in. Taking hold of the black servant's hand, slave's hand, the master said, Can you pray for me? Master, he said, I've been praying you ever since you flogged me. Anyway, it's very hard to think about. You know, it's one thing to read it. It's like, man, that was a real person, you know. It's like, that is so hard. But I'm thankful. I'm really thankful for that uh, slave and thankful for Jesus working in him. And it seems like the, the master was converted. It's very encouraging. But I feel like this story gives a good picture of, you know, the answer, first off, why didn't God end slavery? I mean, one, it shows the reality. The question is a hard question. It's not something to be kind of tossed off like, oh, you know, it doesn't really matter. It's like, yeah, it did matter. That was really hard. And yet God was really there. He was really with him, really with the slaves, and loved them, and they were his people. And I'm thankful, you know. I'm thankful for that slave that really knew the Lord and all the other ones that did too um, that were lights in the world. And so that's the way God, God has chosen to work in history is to deal with the biggest problem first, to deal with our heart problems, to deal with sin, and to save us from our sin. That's what he does first. Okay, that's the first couple parts to answer to this question of why did God allow slavery in the New Testament. The second is, that God allows things that are not ideal for the time while moving his people in the right direction. So it's not just simply that God said that he allowed slavery and that's it. Um, It's more complicated than that. He did allow slavery in the Old Testament, and 
he didn't flat out command to end it in the New Testament, but he didn't leave it there. He the whole time he was making progress towards the end of slavery. Um, so I'll give you a couple examples here. The first thing you need to know to understand about this is that the law in the Old Testament is not ideal. It's not the perfect law. Um, Jesus specifically says that. He says that some of the things in the law were just uh, about their hard hearts. And he was keeping, God was keeping them hemmed in. That the laws weren't perfectly um, perfect. They were uh, barriers for the time. I'll give you an example here from Jesus. He says, so, so that he's talking about marriage here. So they are no, no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. And they said to him, why then did Moses give one a cer- command, one to give her certificate of divorce and to not send her away, and to send her away? And he said to him, because of your hardness of heart, Moses allowed you to divorce your wives. But from the beginning, it was not so. So here is a clear example that the Old Testament law was meant to keep the people of Israel uh, from being as evil as they could be. And it wasn't meant to be the perfect example of holiness. Um, God is our perfect example of holiness. And it was to move them in the right direction. He clearly says that it would be better for there not to be divorce. But what he did was he protected the women. He said, give them a certificate, <laughs> you know. Um, it was a protection for them not to just toss somebody out on the street and, you know, toss this toss a lady who he, he used to be married to out on the street, and then she can't prove that she didn't run away. She can't prove that um, anything happened. But at least if she's got a certificate of divorce, there's some mercy there. It's like, okay, yeah, I was married, but um, look, my husband divorced me, and at least I can prove that. Um, and it's not ideal, and it's not good, but it's better than the alternative. And there's a lot of examples like that. So God was moving Israel in the right direction in the context. And so some of the laws on slavery are that exact thing. So it's like, well, um, here's the culture, you know, uh, which slavery was universal. um, And he's moving them in the right direction. So some of the laws are actually merciful laws, though they're not the ultimate ideal. So I'll give you an example from Exodus. This is what it says about a master. If he knocks out the tooth of his slave, male or female, he shall let the slave go free because of his tooth. Very merciful. (laughs) Very, very merciful in comparison to even American slavery. Right? You knock out one tooth and they go free. That was, that would have been a great mercy here if we followed that in the U.S. Um, And think about, if that's the case in the 1800s, you know, 1700s, put that back a couple thousand years a lot more merciful. The things that they would do to slaves were unspeakably horrible. You know, um, I mean, think about just the view of justice, like an eye for an eye. Like, let's cut off, if you steal, we'll cut off your hand. So imagine what they did to slaves, right? If that's just a regular person. Um, and so God was greatly merciful by giving some of these laws, moving them in the right direction. I'll give you another example from Deuteronomy. You, Uh, You shall not give up to his master a slave who has escaped from his master to you. He shall dwell with you in your midst, in the place that he shall choose within one of your towns, wherever it suits him. You shall not wrong him. That's pretty amazing. God said, if the slave escapes, don't give him back. Wow. That's different. That's pretty amazing, really. Um, 
if there are any slaves, then they better be treated well enough that they're not going to run away because people aren't going to give them back. (laughs) Right? Um, It's pretty amazing. So to summarize this, I would say this. Yes, the Old Testament and the New Testament don't command the end of slavery, but they deal with the bigger problem first, which is the heart problem, that God frees us from our slavery to sin, which I would want to be free on my, in my heart to have the Lord, to have peace, to know him, and be a physical slave than the reverse. To, um, and many of the slaves, you know, in, even in U.S. slavery, really believe that as well. But two, God is moving the whole time his people in the right direction. And the New Testament, though it doesn't command the end of slavery, it hollows out its foundations. And so does the Old, the Old Testament um, gave some better treatment to slaves. So that's encouraging too. But the New Testament does even more. It actually hollows out the foundations of slavery. So I'll give you a couple of verses here. This is from Colossians. This is Paul. And we have put on the new self, Christians, which is being renewed in, in knowledge after the image of its creator. But here is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, or free, but Christ is all and in all. So he's saying this. In the church, everyone's equal. Slaves and free. Men and women. Barbarian, Scythian, circumcised and uncir- uncircumcised. We're equal. And that right there hollows out, hollowed out the foundation of slavery. Um, that every person is made in the image of God. Everyone who, no matter what their station in life, who's a child of God is on equal footing. That's an encouragement. There's a couple more. In 1 Corinthians 7, 20-24, this is what Paul says, Each one should remain in the condition in which he was called. Were you a slave when called? Don't be concerned about it. But if you can give, give, gain your freedom, avail yourself of the opportunity. For he who was called in the Lord as a bondservant is a free man of the Lord. Likewise, he was free when he was called, is a slave of Christ. You were bought with a price. Do not become slaves of men. So, brothers, in whatever condition each was called, there let him remain with God. So there specifically he says to slaves, um, get your freedom if you can. And two, he's again saying, whether you're a slave or you're free, you're equal in the sight of God. If you're physically a slave, you view yourself as a free man in the Lord, and if you're free, then view yourself as a slave to Christ. And he specifically says, don't become a slave to to men if possible. You were bought with a price. Do not become bondservants of men. And so it's pretty amazing there where Paul specifically saying, stay where God put you um, unless you're a slave, then get out. That's pretty, that's pretty awesome that he said that. Now here, this is the last one I think even more hauls out the foundations of, of slavery from the New Testament. This is the letter of Philemon. This is what Paul says. You know, remember Onesimus uh, ran away and then he's going back. Paul, he, he runs into Paul somehow. He becomes a Christian and Paul's sending him back. And this is what Paul says in that letter. For this perhaps is why he was parted from you for a while that you might have him back forever. No longer as a slave, but more than a slave, a beloved brother, especially to me. But how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. So if you consider me your partner, receive him as you would receive me. If he has wronged you at all or owes you anything, charge that to my account. I, Paul, write this with my own hand. I will repay it to say nothing of your owing me, even your own self. Yes, brother. 
I want some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Confident of your obedience, I write to you, knowing that you will do even more than I say. Well, think about that. If Paul sent a slave back, and he said, treat him the way you treat me, Paul. And then he said, I'm confident you're going to do at least that and even more. Um, what a way to haul out slavery. <laughs> um, he didn't say, let him go. Um, I think he said actually more than that. <laughs> he basically said, treat him with honor, great honor. Um, and all this is to say that though the New Testament didn't command the end of slavery, it hauled out the foundations of one man not being equal to another, um, that it's very clear that God was not um, pro-slavery. Even when he talked about it, he was hollowing out and incrementally moving forward to the end. And we can be thankful for that. We can be thankful that many people, mainly Bible-believing Christians, uh, stood up and said something and led to the end of slavery. I like the story of Wilberforce. You know, Wilberforce was one of the guys who really pushed for years and years and years in uh, England to end slavery, which happened before the U.S. in slavery. And he was a believing, Bible-believing Christian, and he would walk on his way to Parliament every day. He had memorized Psalm 119, and he would say it to himself as he walked. It's like kind of gives you a good feel for what he did and uh, why he was there. Praise the Lord. Um, we can be thankful and we can look back to Christ and be thankful that he set these things up, that he's moving things forward and he is not unconcerned about any person that he deeply cares. So that's my best uh, answer for that question. Um, I think, um, I hope that's helpful. I think it comes up quite a bit if you're talking to somebody who's kind of skeptical of Christianity, of the Bible. So hope that's helpful to you. So then let's move on here and briefly kind of consider how does this section apply to us still? Um, how does this particular section apply to us? It might be good just to read this. Bond servants are to be submissive to their own masters and everything. They are to be well-pleasing, not argumentative, not, not pilfering, not stealing, but showing all good fidelity or all good faith, so that in everything they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior. I would say this, that one way we could definitely apply this is if this was a rule for slaves, then for us, how much more at work to our bosses, right? I mean, if slaves are supposed to be submissive, pleasing in everything, not arguing, not stealing, but trustworthy, showing all good fidelity or faith, uh, trustworthy where they are, surely God wants us to do that where we are, uh, where we've been actually freely chosen to be, you know, uh, not forced to be, but chosen to be there. We want to be looking to what our boss at work says and to the best of our ability, listen, unless it's against the law or something like that, um, or against uh, something God wants us to do. And we're to be well-pleasing. Uh, we should have a good testimony. Um, hopefully, we talked about this before, but hopefully our bosses would say, I wish um, I'd be happy to have a couple more of this, this person, you know, two or three more, and not the other way around. Uh, I'd be happy to get rid of them if I could, but they're union or something like that. 
not argumentative. Um, we talked about that um, a little bit, kind of with when we talked about the whole section on younger men, older men, just with our words, we want to honor God uh, in everything we do. And not stealing and showing and being trustworthy. We want to do our job well. We don't want to do anything wrong. Um, we want to do our best to be honest in everything we do and that the, the people over us, our bosses, would feel totally comfortable trusting us because we do what's right. So that's one way we can, we can apply this for sure is if it's true here in the first century with slavery, then for sure how much more for us to live up to it now. Um, when we actually get to choose where we are, and what's what, what, why do this? You know, this whole section here of all these things—men, um, women, older men, younger men—we could kind of summarize with this statement that they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior. I just leave the whole section with this. Um, you know, we talked about. How this list is not a list of things for you to do to get to heaven. It's the list of how we ought to live in light of what Jesus did. And that's what verses 11 through 15, you know, that was the first message from Titus 2 we talked about is, as we read through this list, see it as, this is what God has asked us to do. And we're doing it by the power of Christ, because we're forgiven, not to earn anything. And what he says here specifically in in verse 10 about adorning the doctrine of God our Savior means that the way we live and act can either um, beautify the gospel or make it look uh, unappealing. It can be a good testimony to people or it can be a bad testimony. In everything we do, you know, uh, we're serving God. We're doing what he wants, but we want to do it in the way he wants. We don't want to just do it outwardly with grumbling and complaining and some of these other things that we talked about, we don't want to outwardly do the thing, but in our heart have the wrong attitude. We want to do what God has asked us to do the way he asked us to do it, where he's put us. And in that way, we can adorn the doctrine. Uh, We can show that Jesus is great. We want to show that he really is able to change and, and save, and he really is good because we're looking to him, we want to be like him, and we're to the best of our ability and failing often, but repenting when we do, we're showing others this is what the gospel looks like. It's a life, not perfect, but transformed and resting in the forgiveness of Jesus. Wherever we are, whether that's at work or home or any of these Situations we've talked about, older women, younger women, older men, younger men, wherever you are, whatever you're doing, God has given you an opportunity to serve him, to be like him in holiness. So all these commands here, they're commands to be like Jesus and to be with him um, where he is. You know, it's really true that sin separates us from God. You know, we want to be, we want God to be with us in our work. We want God to be with us, with our family, with our kids. We want God to be with us wherever we are. And one of the reasons we want to live like this is because we don't want to be separated from God. We don't want to put anything in between us, even if it's a forgiven sin, right? We don't want to say, like, well, you know, Jesus, 
his blood covers my sins, and I know this will break fellowship, you know, for a season with me and God, but that's okay. No, we don't want that. Um, even though he's willing to forgive us and come right back to us, we don't want even that moment, that momentary lapse of fellowship, that sin, how sin separ- separates us experientially from God. Uh, we don't want that. We want him to be with us at all times. Um, I'll read this verse again from, we've talked about, I think last week, from Matthew 28, the Great Commission. Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. God's with us wherever we are. Um, He wants to help us. He's with us even to the end of the age. You know, whenever, I haven't had as much time lately to go up to Truman and pass out tracks, but when I did, one of the really common things that would happen is people would say, well, I had a bad experience at church, you know, or yeah, I knew Christians that were hypocrites. And that's sad. And, you know, I would tell them, this is what I would say to them. Um, I would say, well, just because there's fake diamonds, that means there's no real diamonds, right? Like, no. <laughs> that's a fallacy, you know. Uh, that's what, but that's the same thing you said, basically. Well, I had these fake Christians, you know. They were hypocrites. They weren't real. It's like, well, that doesn't mean there aren't real Christians somewhere. <laughs> you may very well have run into some fake Christians. And Jesus actually prophesied there would be fake Christians <laughs> and said, um, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, and he'll say to them, I never knew you. But So I would just encourage them, basically, you need to deal with Jesus yourself. Yes. And I would say, usually what I would say to them is, imagine, you know, I, I met you and I had heard all these bad things about you from all these other people and all these people said they're your good friends and they were just, they were really a rough crowd and I just figured, yeah, I don't need to get to know that guy at all. He's bad news. I, I asked him, would that be fair? And he'd be like, no. It's like, you don't know me. It's like, well, good point. You don't know Jesus. Like, <laughs> you need to meet Jesus, right? These other people... Uh, don't judge him on other people, how they're acting. And so you need to read the Bible and see what Jesus is like. Um, don't reject Jesus over these other people who are being hip- hypocrites. Just like I wouldn't want to reject somebody over something somebody said about them. Um, I would want to know that person individually. But all that is to say, um, that's what I would say to them. But what I say to us is, we don't want to be that, right? We don't want to be the reason somebody's saying that. That there's a lot of people who are actually saying, it's like, yeah, I met somebody who talked to me about Jesus, and this is what they were like, and I don't want anything to do with Jesus. They're still accountable themselves, but we're also accountable. Like, we're accountable for our sin, and ultimately, um, we don't want to push anybody away because we're uh, unwilling to live a life of holiness and love and faith. Um, It's a serious thing, and it's a scary thing. Why do we want to be different? This is verse 11. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works.
We want to pursue these things because of what Jesus did for us. Not only just pursue it, we want to be zealous. It's like, I, I want to honor God. I want to do what's right. I want to move forward um, and do a good job at work. I want, I want to, um, in my actions, in my speech, and in my heart and my thinking, to honor God in all that I say and do and think. And so Christ is our motive, but he's also our means. He's going to help us. He's the one purifying for himself a people. He's going to help us. When we fall short, we can go right to him. We can ask for forgiveness, and he'll be there. He wants this for us. He's not leaving us powerless. He's not sending us off all on our own to to try and figure it out. He's there every step of the way, helping and encouraging, and as an example, but also as a help through the Spirit. And so let's press on. Let's let's do this for God, um, but also for others for the testimony in the world. We want as many people as possible to know Jesus, and we do not want to get in anybody's way. Um, And so that's an encouragement that he'll be with us, but also an exhortation to take these things seriously. Um, Let's pray together. Father, thank you for this section. Thank you for Titus. I do pray this would be helpful. And just anything that wasn't helpful, just I pray that we go right in one ear and out the other. And anything that was good and true and from you uh, that would be remembered. I do pray for us. We don't want to be a bad testimony. Uh, we We want people to want to know you and not in spite of us. Um, Please help us. Uh, Please help us to follow everything you've asked us to do in our speech, in our actions, in our thinking. We need you. Um, We do thank you for the end of um, slavery here in the U.S. We're very, very thankful. Um, We're thankful for all the slaves you saved as well. Um, Even if they died in slavery, we're thankful they were free in you. And we just pray for people all over the world, wherever they are, um, who are in bad situations, whether that's outright slavery or other kinds. Um, We just have mercy. Have mercy on people. Um, Be near to them. I pray you continue to save the down and out for your glory and for their good. Uh, we pray for the people in China and work camps there. Have mercy there. Pray that you would end that. And in a lot of other countries too. Um, just have mercy. We're looking to you for help and we're trusting you that you know all things and you hate sin even more than we do and you're working for good in the world. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.